This is The Structuring Podcast. All right, welcome back. Terry War here, and this is The Structuring Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the structuring of a discretionary trust. All right, a discretionary trust is basically a trust in which the trustee has discretion over who to give the income and the capital of the trust to. So when setting one up, you should always seek legal advice. And ideally, you would have the trust deed worded in a way that suits all your needs up front, because changing the trust deed later can trigger both stamp duty and capital gains tax. So ideally, you want to try and uh, get it right from the beginning. All right, so how do you structure it? Well, there's a lot to it, but the first thing we should consider is who the parties to the deed will be. Now, the trust will need a set law. They're the person that hands over the initial property to the trustee and they ask the trustee to hold that on trust and that starts the trust. But for some strange reasons, the set law cannot be a beneficiary of the trust. They can never benefit from the trust. And if they do, or if they can benefit, it could be what's called a revocable trust. And that could mean the trust is taxed at the top marginal tax rate. So the set law has to be excluded. They can never benefit from the trust and therefore it should not be the accountant and should not be the, the lawyer. Potential beneficiaries of the trust should also not be the set law because they can never benefit from the trust down the track. So ideally it would be a friend or a colleague at work, but someone who you would never want to do business with. They also have to sign the deed. So that can trigger stamp duty in some states as well. If the set law is in Victoria, there's $200 stamp duty. If they're in New South Wales, there's $500 stamp duty. Okay, now you also need a person or a company or more than one to act as the trustee. So you have to consider the structure of the trustee, especially where the trustee is a company. I might actually do a separate podcast on this topic. Basically, the trustee will own the trust's assets and where there's borrowings, they'll be the one borrowing. Where there's contracts, they'll be the one entering the contract. So it's very important to consider that when determining who the, the trustee will be. You'll also need to nominate an appointer or more than one appointer. This is the person or persons or even companies that has the power to hire and fire the trustee. So it's very important. You should also consider what happens when the, the appointer loses capacity or dies. Probably one of the most important things to consider, though, is the beneficiaries. So the, a discretionary trust can be what's called an open class trust or a closed class trust. A trust with a certain number of beneficiaries, usually all named, is a closed class trust. For example, Homer might form the Simpson Family Trust, and he, he might say the beneficiaries are restricted to five people, him, Marge, Lisa, Maggie, and Bart. As they die off, the number of beneficiaries shrinks. An open class trust is one where the beneficiaries are persons related to one or more named persons. So in Homer's 
case, uh, he might include beneficiaries such as the future spouses of his children, future grandchildren, future great-grandchildren, related companies. This is an open class trust because the beneficiaries are constantly being added to. So generally you'll get more asset protection with an open class discretionary trust, but it can also potentially affect um, payroll tax where in some states a discretionary trust can be counted if someone is a beneficiary of that trust and they're they're running a, a business and they've got payroll tax to pay in relation to that business. And that's because the trust will be a related entity to that person. And that's the case even if they don't know about it. Other than that, you you also want to consider things like um, default beneficiaries. What happens if the trustee does not make a decision as to who gets attributed the income for the year? Failure to make a decision like that could lead to adverse tax consequences. So a lot of trusts often have a default beneficiary and that means if, if the trustee does not make a decision by a certain date, the default will be the one that gets the income of the trust. That also has estate planning uh, considerations. You should also consider whether certain persons could be restricted from or prevented from being beneficiaries. The obvious one is the set law, but these days foreign persons are often restricted. And that's because of stamp duty and land tax laws in some states especially New South Wales. But that may not be necessary if the trust never owns land. So perhaps if the trust is only going to own shares, you do not want to remove the ability of foreign persons to benefit from it. You also want to look at the trustee's powers. Generally, they would need the power to borrow, the power to lend, the power to mortgage, and a lot of other things, the power to run a business, for example. Without these powers, the trustee can't do those things unless perhaps authorised by the relevant trustee act. And the trust should nominate the jurisdiction as well. Trust law is largely state-based law, so it's good that the jurisdiction of the trust is nominated in the deed. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the state in which the trustee is located. There's many more things to consider, but this is just a brief overview, so go and get your legal advice and do that before you sign the deed. You've been listening to The Structuring Podcast. Check out the show notes for today's episode at www.structuring.com.au forward slash podcast.